are back with another episode of Admission Granted. I'm Christina. I'm Brittany. And I'm Natalie. And we are so excited to be chatting today. Um, before we get into our topic of the day, I'm going to go ahead and ask my other co-hosts, how <laughs> has life been going? Give me some semester updates. Anyone have any? Yeah, um, life's been going really well, thankfully. Um, I really enjoy second year, I'll have to say. Everyone has different opinions on you know, the different years. And I'm really enjoying it because it feels a lot more clinical based. So everything's going well. I am pursuing more research now. Um, doing a little more volunteering. I'm cooking a lot. I'm staying busy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. been good. Thanks for asking. How about you, Brittany? Yeah, yeah. things have been busy uh, on my end. We had two students who graduated from the lab. So meaning that they defended their thesis successfully in front of a committee. And so they have their PhD now. And so now that they're gone, I'm the senior student and I have to do a lot of things, especially help them like finish their publications. So I'm doing a lot of their experiments while they finish up writing and editing their thesis. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So just, I guess my updates also, I wanted to comment. Um, Natalie is a fantastic cook for anyone <laughs> oh, who is listening. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention that. But no, I, I think I kind of take a different look at it than you, Natalie. I think that second year so far has been definitely the most challenging for me mm. because for anyone who's not aware, at the end of second year of medical school, you take what's called step one, which is basically your first medical board exam. And so the entire year, you're basically preparing for a test that you're not going to have until the end of the year. <laughs> oh, God. So mm. yeah, it's definitely a little bit different. I like the material, but it's been a challenge kind of having this sense of delayed gratification in mm. a way because we're not going to know how we're doing on this exam until the end of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I think it's also hit me this year that I really need to start focusing on building my application for residency. So I've started volunteering um, at a local soup kitchen this year and it's been a great experience for me. Aside from my residency application, it's a great place of volunteer. I also have been jumping into some research projects and just trying to keep busy spending time with family and friends. So I'm glad it's been a good semester for all of us so far. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't wait to dive into more like what your guys's day looks like. Cause I, as me as a PhD candidate, I want to know like what you mean by research. So I'm excited mm. to talk about what we're going to today. Yeah, me too. So without further ado, I think we should just jump into it. So Natalie, if you want to talk a little bit about what the four years of medical school look like and kind of what we're doing. Certainly. So as Christina mentioned, medical school is four years and each year is very different. I'm going to go into the first year a little bit. One of the preclinical years, the first year, is when we learn here at Upstate, at least, about physiology and how things are supposed to work. So we have eight distinct units that are based on different body systems. And throughout the units, we also tie in gross anatomy and microanatomy. So we get to look at cadavers in the lab. We get to dissect and just see the physiology and anatomy of things. We also look at things under a microscope. So we get to understand histology and tie those things in together to each unit that we're doing. And just to give you an example of one of the eight units, we have a neurology unit, which focuses on the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Then we also have longitudinal courses, one of them being the practice of medicine or POM as we call it. And in this course, we learn about medical interviewing, physical exams, communication skills with patients, and we get direct feedback from something called a standardized patient, which is an actor. So this goes on throughout the year and we have different experiences with the standardized patients. 
Um, as I mentioned, we get feedback. We also have some clinical competency exams during which we have to present the information that we gathered from the patient. So this really gives us the chance to learn and practice how to gather information and present it either in a written or an oral form. And also they integrate clinical experience. So during these, we shadow physicians in clinics or we learn skills in a clinical lab. Wow, that sounds incredibly busy, like nine to five, nonstop. That's that's intense. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a once a week for the most part, but it is very helpful. And it definitely gives you the sense that you're practicing for a career, not just mm -hmm. learning in a classroom and memorizing information or understanding concepts. Another course that we have that's longitudinal is called the Foundations of Reasoning in Medicine. And in this, we meet in small groups with physicians and sometimes some fourth-year TAs. Um, we learn clinical reasoning skills that are used to evaluate patients. We understand diseases. We make evidence-based decisions. And it's really based on participation. In the first year, also for each meeting, which is around once a week, we partner with a peer to make a presentation that pertains to one aspect of a specific disease. So each week we focus on a different disease that coincides with what we're learning about in the unit. So that's FRM as we call it. And we also have patients to population. So another small group activity, and this relates to bioethics, law, population health, epidemiology, healthcare policy, and other related disciplines. And this just helps us prepare for difficult situations that we may encounter in medicine. And again, we meet with either like different physicians or PhDs, and we get really good insight on how to face these situations. Yeah, so those are the longitudinal courses that we take. And second year is a little different. Christina, do you want to tell us a little bit about second year? I will, yes. But before I talk about second year, I wanted to ask you, did you mm -hmm. have a, a favorite course during first year that you took that you liked the most? Yeah, I did. I really liked P2P, the patients to populations. I like um, that one too. Yeah, it was really cool because we learn a lot about things that are happening like in the real world outside of medicine and we tie it into practicing and just how to empathize and understand just the determinants of health. So things that might impact health that might not always seem so obvious, like poverty is very linked to health and things like that, you know, different disparities in different communities. So I find I found that course to be really interesting. I like cool. that one, too. Yeah. How about you, Brittany? What does your curriculum look like? Yeah, so our curriculum changes, I would say, vastly over the set of your career. So five, six years at PhD school. Our first year, similar to you guys, it's very, it's very course heavy. We have foundations in biochemistry. So basically the point of that course is to get everyone on the same level education wise so that they're all given the same content to know. We also take a journal club, which basically teaches us how to read papers, dissect them, present them, which you'll obviously need down the road as you're developing throughout your PhD career. And then you also take a biostats class. And then there's also some nano courses that you can take during the spring semester. They're more focused on a topic like how to use this instrument or how to use this computer language program and they're only like eight weeks they're very small but they're very influential throughout your PhD career and then there's always the department specific classes that you can take the spring semester of your first year especially for micro I took a couple needed for that department because I knew I was going into micro on top of those classes you have three rotations so you go into three different labs you do research projects with them just kind of find how you interact in the lab, how you interact with the PI, the students, and you have some 
just minimal experiments, just learning experimental techniques. It seems like a lot. It is a lot. I feel like a lot of students get overwhelmed, but everyone goes through it and you just have to get through it. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you feel like it gets easier with time as you go on? I mean, looking back at it now, I would say the courses, like your course though gets lighter. So mm. it, yes, in a sense it gets easier. But I feel everyone has the same response as to, hey, how do you feel about your first year? And it was hard. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like the MD program too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what did your guys' second year look like then? Yeah. So I can jump into that. Before I mention about the second year, I will just briefly mention just some details about third and fourth year, because obviously Natalie and I are both second years and haven't gotten to third and fourth year yet, but it's worth mentioning. So once you finish your second year of more classroom-based learning, you jump into your third and fourth year, which are both clinical-based. So for a majority of your third year and then going into most of your fourth year, you have what are called clerkships, which are basically mandatory rotations through a collection of different specialties in medicine. And then at the end of that few weeks of a block, you have what's called a shelf exam, which is an exam based on what you learned in that specialty. In addition to those core clerkships, you also have different blocks that you can use for electives. So if there's a specialty that's not necessarily a core clerkship, but that you're very interested in, you could in theory do it in that specialty of, of medicine there. And then once you get into your fourth year, you have an elected time to apply to residency, as well as fill some upper level credits that you need to graduate. And then in the spring you graduate. And again, this is not all the details of third and fourth year, but again, we can't speak on personal experience because we haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to jump into second year. So second year looks very different in my opinion than first year in the sense that for a majority, if not all of the year, you are studying for your step one exam, which at this point is pass fail. So you have your core classes, your core units, just like that similar block schedule that you had first year. Plus you have your few longitudinal courses, you know, your FRM, like Natalie mentioned, your POM, like Natalie mentioned, and you also have your blocks. And the blocks cover a majority of the same material that you saw first year, but it takes a different spin in second year. What I mean by that is in second year, you cover pharmacology and microbiology. So you learn more of you know, drugs and interventions and like real clinical medicine, as opposed to first year where you were learning more, mostly the anatomy and physiology perspective. So that's kind of how second year looks different. Do you mm. have anything to add about second year, Natalie? Yeah, second year is also a time when you have a lot more free time. So I think it requires a different kind of discipline. We don't have the micro or gross anatomy lab anymore. So that definitely frees up a lot of time and we don't do the P2P. But as you said, Christina, we are preparing for the step one exam. So it is more time, but there's more things to learn. So that's yeah, that's one way that I think second year is different as well. I would say though the second year for PhD school, similar to what you were saying, Christina, it is vastly different than first year, just like structurally. Our second year of PhD school, you've joined a lab. Yay, like you're, you know, you're on your way to be a PhD candidate. So maybe you're doing some experiments every day or every other day, but you still have some classes that are required. So ethics, some advanced classes that are needed for the department. And then you start your preparing for your qualifying exam, which is basically the test that says you have what it takes to be a PhD candidate or you don't. So if you 
don't pass your qualifying exam, there's a chance you could not get a PhD. So there's a lot writing on this test. And so we start a class called grant writing, which is you formulate how to write a grant, what's needed in a grant, and you go over this with your PI. And it starts the foundation for what you'll need for your qualifying exam, which occurs at the end of your second year. And this is different at every university, but for Upstate, you need to do a essay response. So here at Upstate, if you study like, I study a DNA virus. So my essay response was not just focused on DNA viruses, but it was focused on like all viruses. So it's a more broader scope for your essay response. Mm -hmm. And then branching off of that grant you started writing in grant writing, you add a third aim. So it's split into three sections. So in grant writing, you do the first two aims and by yourself during your qualifying exam, you do the third one. And then you have a two hour oral defense to a committee. And basically they decide if you like this package you've prepared is enough and you've proved that you can be a PhD candidate and you can move forward with your research. Yeah, so that's second year. And like I said, it is different than first year. Second years, I feel a little more taxing on you mentally versus right first year taking classes, you're learning information and second year you're starting to grow and like formulate questions for yourself and mm. how to portray them to others. So second year is definitely hard, but I feel like after you get over that hump of second year, it's a lot easier. Like your third, fourth, fifth, mm. sometimes sixth year is more focused on your research and easier for you to complete because you're not bogged down with classes. That's good to know. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Which do you think has been more difficult so far? You mean as far as first versus second mm -hmm. year? I yes. think first year was harder for me. I agree. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like we had to like learn how to learn in medical school. The adjustment period is definitely difficult and you have a lot of places to be during the week. So you have to wake up early. A lot of times this year we can wake up kind of whenever we want, <laughs> but we do have to be more disciplined. I mean, we do, we still have to get through the materials. So it requires a different kind of discipline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue, I think, into our next topic. We're going to talk a little bit about what our days in the life will look like with a focus on kind of how that looks different as you go through grad school. So Brittany, I'll, I'll put it on uh, the spotlight onto you. How is your day? Yeah. How does it look? Yeah. So I would say, I think I'm going to phrase it more like a week just because a week is more representative than a day for like PhD candidates. So, you know, I come into lab around nine. It varies between people, between labs, but I'm not a morning person. So yeah, I come in around nine. I set up some experiments that either I need to be done that day or need to be done over like long-term, like several days. We have two students, new students in our lab. So they're starting their second year. So I'm doing a lot of mentoring now that I'm the senior student, guiding them with their project, like how to be efficient going through experiments and classes, how to manage their time better, as well as preparing them for their qualifying exam, just like the senior students did with me. There's always like other tasks that I need to do throughout the day, like on the computer, writing in my lab notebook, make sure I'm organized, organize some events and clubs that I'm in, or order some reagents on the computer, call repairmen to fix instruments that break. Oh, wow. It happens. A lot of use over time. And it just sounds um, like you have a lot of like responsibility in the lab. Yes. Yeah. And independence. And it's different. Like, so our lab, we have a lab technician who's able to also like take some more of the like responsibilities off our shoulders as students, mm. but some labs don't have that. So they have to do it themselves, 
which, you know, it hinders your ability to get experiments done. But these are things that need to be completed. Like you need the centrifuge to be fixed in order for you to do this experiment. Right. And it's a good skill to have, I think, right? Yeah. If you have your own lab one day, you're going to have to be responsible for all of that. So that's really cool. That's a great point. And then every week we have a journal club. So a student or a faculty presents a paper and we like discuss it and talk about the experimental design and whatnot. And then also we have department talks. So students give a talk on their research and we ask questions. So it gives them experience like giving an oral presentation. And then we also have faculty, like guest lecturers that come in or our own faculty in the department to talk about their research. And that gives us a better chance to see what we could collaborate on or Mm. network. Other than that, I really like, I really like fifth year. I like that I have my own project that I can like pitch ideas to my PI. I, I can bounce ideas off of other students or they can come in and ask me for help and I can assist them with their experiments. I really just like having the freedom of research. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. So Christina, what does your day look like? Does it change every day or is it similar to mine where like a week is more representative of your day to day? Yeah, I think, well, for starters, I think that first and second year, my day in the life kind of looked different. So I learned very quickly when I got to med school that I am a morning person, which is (laughs) very strange to say, but I think when I first started, I I had found myself in a tough place because I would get up, go to class in person, go to lab, do all the extra things, you know, get home by six or seven, eat food, shower, try to exercise, you know, do all that stuff. And then it would be late at night, like it would Mm -hmm. be like seven, eight o'clock. And then I would have to sit down for hours of studying. And for me, by that time of the day, after I've, you know, gotten up early and done all this stuff, that's too late for me to like (laughs) actually really, truly get meaningful study in. So what I would do instead, and something that I'm actually doing now, is I would wake up early, go to the library, study in the mornings, then I would go to lab, I would come home in the evenings, and I would just In the evenings, the only thing that I would do work-wise is I would watch all the lectures from that day. So then I knew that my meaningful, really good studying that I was getting in was when I was really fresh-minded and like Mm -hmm. well-rested and like really my best self. And that's something that I've definitely carried on through the second year. There was a period of a few months where I was going to class every single day in person. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason that I was choosing to do that was because in third year, you have your clinicals all day, kind of like I mentioned. And then at the end of the year, you have a step two exam. So your real study time to study for step two and for your shelves and stuff is when you get home from a long day at the hospital. And if you're in surgery all day, because that's one of the rotations, you'll have to do meaningful studying when you get home. So I've been trying to kind of train myself Mm -hmm. to do like hardcore studying when I get home at the end (laughs) of a long day. But it's honestly been tough. So I've been struggling with that. But like I mentioned on a previous episode, I do take Friday and Saturday nights off. I am religious, so I go into services every weekend. And that's pretty much kind of my day in the life. And I also work on my research projects kind of when I have extra time. So like Sunday evenings, I usually I'm not in the frame of mind to do work. I just want to rest. So Mm -hmm. what I'll do Sunday evenings is I'll work on my research because it's not you know, quote unquote, hardcore studying my material, but it's being productive and getting work done as well. Mm-hmm. So how about you, Natalie? What's your day look like? A day for me in first and second year look very different. In first mm-hmm. year, I was waking up and doing all the things like going to the classes, going to lecture. I quickly realized that I think I work better when I watch lectures at home because I'm able to pause and take notes if I need to. 
which I'll get into. I stopped taking notes, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later. But yeah, pretty much just to give you a gist of it, I wake up, I make breakfast and lunch to take to school with me. Food is very important to me. Um, I make my coffee. I feed my cats. I head to school. And although I do study at home sometimes, I find that I, I study best at school in a, mm-hmm. quiet, in, in a quiet environment in the library. So I'll go there and I like to start with like my flashcards. I use like a spaced repetition flashcard application, which is quite popular in medical school. I've been doing it since first year and I think it works really well for understanding and grasping all the information that we have to. I also use uh, like visual memory aids that kind of work like using storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, in the one of the previous episodes, Christina, you asked me if my creative background at all like kind of informed my learning now. And in a way, I didn't realize this, but I would use storytelling like in my mind. And I think we do this when we study together too sometimes. Like <laughs> we like give like personalities to different cells or like, you know, things like that, that help us remember. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll expand on that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, these are just like the ways that I study. I use the flashcards. I use those... Um, Picmonics, as they're called, or photo mnemonics, and a lot of videos. I do listen to podcasts whenever I can on physiology and pathology. That's been really helpful. But in general, just a little aside, mnemonics are your best friend in medical school. <laughs> it's the best way to remember things. And I'm a hands-on and visual learner. So first year, I would definitely go to lab every day or whenever it was required, and I would study a lot in the lab. And I do like to study alone, but like I mentioned, we do group studies sometimes, and I find that really helpful, like teaching other people or having it explained to me helps me understand concepts, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. So yeah, I'll study in the library. If I can, I'll squeeze in volunteering throughout the week. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to volunteer at the Rama Clinic, which is a free clinic in the community. And lately I've also been volunteering at a foot clinic at a local homeless shelter. I like to work out at least a couple days a week. So I try to squeeze that in before going home and making dinner and having some me time. Mm-hmm. I, I recognize also like you, Christina, that I don't really study well at night. I think I'm just like ready to wind down by yeah. the time I get home. Yeah, you're just so stimulated throughout the day, like right. learning everything or remembering what you need to remember. Exactly. And throughout the week, I also like to make time for fun things. I know this is so nerdy of me, but I really love <laughs> trivia. So I like to go to trivia. We have whenever a big trivia night here at Upstate. Yes, yeah, we do. I've heard about it. Yeah. um, And just like throughout the community, there's like a lot of trivia nights at different pubs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's my day in the life pretty much. Do you do research like Christina? I'm not currently working on any projects. I am like in touch with some people that um, I will potentially do research Mm -hmm. with. Um, As I mentioned, I did a review paper over the summer, but I am not working on any research right now. I like to focus on my school and like focusing on step studying as well. So that's where my a lot of my energy is going. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just for our listeners, Christina, what does research look like to you? I think that the really one of the benefits of Upstate is we have a research department that you can go to with a liaison for medical students to get oh, okay. involved in research. So different physicians in the area or different doctors and, and scientists will kind of pass along their research opportunities to this one department, and then that will get forwarded on to the students. So my research opportunities, one of them actually came from that department. Um, I had heard about this paper that was being worked on and they needed another person, so I hopped onto the project. Another one of my research opportunities actually was from a professor that I knew from my undergrad in Binghamton who does work in a kind of another capacity at Upstate. So I hopped onto that project as well, as well as uh, I had been shadowing and I had seen a case and I, so I hopped on the case study Mm -hmm. that was being done as as a result of my shadowing experience there. So that's kind of what research looks like So it's not, it's not like 
my kind of like when I talk about research, I'm at the lab bench, I'm pipetting, I'm like treating cells with different drugs. Like for medical school, is it more case studies and like reporting and writing? Is that, I guess that's the kind of question I was more aiming towards. Okay. Yeah. It, it depends. I, oh, okay. I'm not doing any bench work right now. Mm-hmm. I did do bench work in undergrad, but I do know people who are, I believe. Yes. So I think it's kind oh, of the world okay. is your oyster there. Yeah. That's awesome. They have that kind of opportunity here yeah, in upstate. Yeah, for sure. I also just wanted to kind of piggyback a little bit on the study methods that Natalie mentioned, mm-hmm. just kind of talking about day in the life. So like Natalie, I do use spaced repetition flashcards. I think that one of the really key things for me in terms of being successful academically in med school is the idea of spaced repetition, number one, and also active recall. Mm-hmm. I think for me... A lot of my study methods look very similar to undergrad. You know, in undergrad, like I would get up early, I would use a whiteboard and do a lot of memorization just strictly from the notes. I integrated a lot of practice questions in my studying in undergrad, and I think that that helped me a lot. And I do a very similar thing here. So when I get the material after I've watched the lecture, I will, I do take notes. I know, Natalie, Mm -hmm. you, you don't. I take a little bit of notes, but I'm mostly listening. I think one thing that I've learned about myself is I'm definitely an auditory learner. So if I hear something or someone tells me something, I usually will remember it as opposed to people who are more visual learners. So I learn, I learn by my ear. So I will watch the lecture. I will whiteboard out the main concepts and like try to quiz myself there. And then I'll get together with friends like Natalie um, (laughs) and we'll just kind of try to active recall talk to each other mm-hmm. about the high yield concept. So like, for example, if we're studying viruses or whatever we're studying, I mm-hmm. will ask Natalie, what fusion protein does this virus use? And then she'll say the answer to me and then I'll remember the answer or vice versa. So that's that's a thing that I think helps. But so Brittany, how does your studying, has it changed since undergrad? How does it look yeah, different? I think you had a very good point is that my studying really took root, like my studying habits took root in undergrad. And I kind of just used the study methods I learned in undergrad through graduate school. One thing I try to tell students when they come to upstate is that you need to study early and you need to study often. So those foundations exams, they sneak up on you, you know, Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you have all this information you need to learn in a week. It's better to start studying as soon as you get the information and recall the subjects of the lectures and make sure that you know the material going into the exam. It's not beneficial to you to crunch. And that's definitely something you need to learn in PhD school, especially for your comping exam. It does not benefit you to read 10 papers a week before you need to do your oral defense. And all of a sudden, like you have all this information in your mind that you have to recall, like when they're asking you specific questions about like, what does this virus do? So yeah, I found studying early, studying often. I do like writing everything out because I am a visual learner, drawing everything. That works well for me. And especially since I do a lot of reading, like you have to read papers, you need to stay updated in your field. You need to read all the papers that the lab has published, especially the lab you have joined. So I found that basically writing the main topics of that paper and glancing back at them every now and then has been very beneficial for me, especially in those library study intensive rooms. Mm -hmm. Like Natalie was saying, I need quiet. And I found that I study better here at school than I do at home. Mm -hmm. 
And I learned that the hard way when we were quarantined (laughs) at home. Um, But I agree with the group study. You know, it's beneficial for you, especially with those foundation courses where everyone's taking the same material. It's easier to study and bounce subject material off of other students that are also learning the same thing. But as you take like higher advanced courses throughout your PhD, the students in your lab or students that are a year or two above you, definitely asking them like, hey, you went through this class. What was it like? Like, can you help me study? I think that's very beneficial for students in a PhD. Nice. Yeah, I totally agree with a lot of what you said. So I think that if I've learned anything in med school, it's two of these basic things that I've that have really helped my studying. Number one, one thing that I started doing, and this could apply to you whether you're in high school, undergrad, med school, it doesn't matter. This is this, I think this is pretty universal. What I started doing is every single lecture, let's say there's 30, 40 lectures in a unit, and they're all about an hour long, give or take, I started writing them down on a piece of paper and kind of just jotting down what the main focus of lecture was. So if it's about cardiotoxicities in drugs, Mm -hmm. I'll just quickly write that down. And then every single time I go to a lecture and I know right off the bat that I'm not grasping the material, I'll just quickly make a note of that so that when I go back, I'm not just studying what I already know well for that instant gratification. Like when I first started Mm -hmm. in med school, there'd be, let's say, 30 lectures. I would purposely go to the 15 lectures that I understood really well because when I would get those flashcards right, it would feel so good. (laughs) Like it's a lot harder to force yourself to do the thing that you don't know because it feels uncomfortable, right? But really try to keep track of what exactly it is you're weak on. Like, it's a work smarter, not harder game, right? Yes, definitely. You can spend six hours doing things that you're pretty good at and really make no progress. But you could also be spending those six hours doing things that you truly don't know and Mm -hmm. make way more progress. So I would say that. Also, I think one of the challenges for med school in second year, I do like second year, but I'm just saying that it's definitely a lot different to me because now it's not just a matter of for us, like, knowing the science, you know, knowing what's going on in the lungs, knowing what the lungs look like, what they do, how they work. Mm -hmm. It's being able to say, okay, this person comes into the office. You don't really know anything about them other than, you know, what, what they're telling you about what's going on. Can you, from that information, what you get out of the interview and the physical exam, be able to say what's going on in their lungs? Like Mm -hmm. looking at it from a clinical picture is a lot more challenging than looking at it from just scientific perspective. So that's where I think practice questions come in because practice questions, at least for step, really get you the opportunity to see what those clinical pictures look like and identifying what's going on scientifically from a clinical perspective. So whether you're studying for the MCAT, you're studying for step or you're studying for whatever, Mm -hmm. definitely, definitely focus on practice questions because I think the, the way to learn is by doing. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that. I 100% agree. I'm glad you mentioned that because I did forget to bring that up, but that's another huge part of my day is doing practice problems. Me too. Yeah. So there's different question banks that you can use that are specific to step one, and they definitely help you with the unit exams as well. It's all the same material, just the units are broken down to different systems, but it helps to kind of jumble things up and be able to recognize patterns in questions and be able to answer a pulmonology question and then a cardiology question and then like a um, gastroenterology question and, you know, just be able to adapt 
to each question, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Okay. I would also mention one resource that I found really helpful, not only in med school, but also in undergrad. I think this is one of those examples of where what I did in undergrad really worked and still works for me is I take advantage of tutoring. Mm -hmm. There was a tutoring center at my undergrad that was so helpful. And I definitely, I would go and I would do practice questions and the tutor would help me identify more high yield concepts. And high yield is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in med school. And I just want to say what that means right now for people who don't know. High yield is like topics that are often, you know, the main focus of a unit or like the things that you're expected to really take away from a unit. And I also use that service in med school. I don't know if either of you like have ever used it or like I don't know if they have that in PhD. I mean, they have tutoring. So like the students that are in their fifth and sixth year can help tutor the first and second year students on their like foundational courses. But I don't really recognize like kind of tutoring that you're talking about. What about? I haven't used tutoring myself, but I know that a lot of people have benefited from it. And I know it can be really helpful just to hear things in different ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's a great point to bring up, Christina. I agree. Yeah. So does anyone have anything else that they'd like to add on this episode or any advice that you would give to students who are pursuing a medical slash scientific curriculum at all? I do want to expand on the things you can do now that you're in your third through sixth year of PhD school. And one of those is go to conferences. I didn't touch on that earlier, but when you reach like your fourth or fifth year, you finally have some like data that could be published. And so you have enough to put together a poster or an oral presentation And my boss, Gary, he actually says all the time, he goes, I know you want to go to this conference. You always need to put in for an oral presentation because you don't know if you're going to get it or not because they select certain people based on what the conference is about and like how the topics would fit into that conference. So it's beneficial for you to apply for presenting your data orally because not only will it give you the opportunity to grow intellectually and be able to communicate, but it'll also help you build a network because someone will be able to see your face and be like, oh, I remember they presented on this topic at this conference. Maybe I could talk to them about a collaboration or something like that. But going to conferences and presenting your research is such a key point in your PhD career. And not only are they fun because you get really good food and you get to hang out with other people that are just as passionate about your work, but you get to present your data that you've worked so hard in. And I just really like these pivotal years of my PhD career because I get to take classes that aren't just focused on viruses that I'm studying. I'm able to take a class that's I just finished this class, actually, that's quality control in biotechnology. So what does quality control look like in a clinical setting in a pharmaceutical company? And last year, I actually took a class on how to teach college students. So if you're pursuing a career in research, academic research, or if you're pursuing a career in industry research, you have classes here at Upstate that you're able to take at a later time point in your career in your PhD track that will benefit you for the long run. Very nice. Yeah, Yeah. medical students also get to go to conferences. So that's a a nice benefit as well to share our work. Thank you for reminding me. I want to share this as well. In your third and fourth year, you have the opportunity as a medical student to do what's called an away rotation. So away rotations are basically you apply. I mean, don't quote me on all the details of this (laughs) because I've never done one, obviously, but you apply to 
basically do one of your clinical rotations at another hospital anywhere that you want, any participating hospital that is available to you at the time. So that gives you an opportunity to spend a good chunk of time in another city or another place that you're interested in maybe pursuing a residency there. So that's a cool thing as well. Did you have anything to add, Natalie? Yeah. For away rotations, actually, on that topic, I think it's also a good chance to get to know a program. And it's almost like a part of the interview process. And I think you have a better chance of matching in a program that you've rotated at as far as I know. And another thing I just want to add in general for anyone who is thinking of applying, there is a big adjustment from undergrad to a graduate program or a medical program. And one thing I just want to encourage everyone to do is to foster discipline if they can in themselves, because it's very different. Like I mentioned, the second year or even in the first year, there's a lot of free time and it's really up to you what you do with that time. So I definitely recommend just finding ways to structure your, yourself and mm-hmm. structure your time and making the most of it. Yeah, it, it definitely is a big transition. It was for me too. And I went right from undergrad to medical school. So I can't imagine what it would be like having years in between that Mm -hmm. had to have been tough in and of itself as well. But even coming straight from undergrad, it was tough for me. And I think number one, if you know that you're struggling or if you're sitting in a study group with people and you know that they understand the material way better than you, and that's becoming a pattern that you, you know that you're not grasping the material as well as everyone else that you're around, don't get upset. Go get help. Go get help. Go to a tutor. Go to a professor, email a course director and express like get help early. That is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. And I feel especially when you're getting your PhD, everyone wants to see you succeed. Like everyone's trying to harbor this environment for you to learn and to grow. And if you need help, there's help to be given. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a great point. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode and we will see you all soon. Yeah. Talk soon. Bye.